Welcome to the Insomnia Coach Podcast. My name is Martin Reed. I believe that nobody needs to live with chronic insomnia and that cognitive behavioral therapy for insomnia, CBTI techniques, can help you enjoy better sleep for the rest of your life. Anne is a college professor from New York City who had been struggling with sleep for over 30 years and got great results using cognitive behavioral therapy for insomnia, CBTI techniques. In this episode, Anne describes how her sleep issues began, all the ways she tried to improve her sleep without success, and how she finally managed to get her sleep back on track. I think many people with chronic insomnia will recognize Anne's struggles with sleep. And the good news is, of course, that since CBTI techniques worked for Anne, it's very likely they'll work for you too. A full transcript of this podcast and an accompanying video can be found at insomniacoach.com forward slash podcast. Okay, so I'm here with Anne Vigo, who um, went through my online coaching course, um, I think it was around seven months ago now. Uh, Anne is a college professor um, in New York City, I believe. Um, so thanks for, having, thanks for joining me today, Anne. Of course, thanks for having me on. Um, so this is great to have you. Uh, can you tell me a little bit more about um, like the, the start of your sleep issues? Like wh- when did it start and how did it start for you? Uh, for me, it, it started with um, gaining independence. Um, I never went through sleep issues in college. I was kind of happy in my, my scholastic world and my ivory tower, you know, and then when it came time to finding a real job, um, dealing with independence, um, those were like big issues for me. Um, finding a, a career I really liked because my studies really didn't translate to, um, to really a practical job. I, I don't think I was very practical. So I had to deal with a lot of reality facing and growing up really, growing up, becoming an adult. And these were like struggles for me. And another part of my struggle um, was um, a social phobia where I had... Um, I had kind of isolated myself for a lot of my growing up years, like really formative years, and I didn't have the social connections I should have. Uh, so then when it came time to, to really be out there, you know, and, and to, to function in life, to function in a career, you need to have a network, to have friends. And all of this, which was natural to most people, for me, was, it wasn't really like something I was so comfortable with. I had to learn it. So I would have sometimes, um, you know, I would have this, uh, uh, anticipatory anxiety the night before, like before I would meet someone, a friend even, and, and then I would start obsessing about sleep. So that was also part of it. So, um, you know, it was, it was quite significant for me, a big, big obstacle. Yeah. And so did you, did you tend to find that it would start off as you just have one or two bad nights or was it kind of like, bam, it just hit you. You would just suddenly have this string of bad nights all in a row. Um, I think it would kind of, uh, hit me now and then, uh, when I would realize like, I'm, I'm not happy. I don't have a, a career path. Uh, I feel a little lost. I don't feel comfortable being independent. It would just, I would, I would try to forget about it and just kind of go about doing my job. But then now and then I would step back and look at the bigger picture, like as a young adult in my twenties. And I'd say like, you know, where am I going? I, I feel very lost. And then I would kind of panic. And then that would sort of trigger my anxieties and and then i i would i would fall into negative sleep patterns mm-hmm. you know my thinking of course would affect my sleep you know when you when you feel really hopeless then i think i would fall into a depression mm-hmm. and so what kind of what kind of ways did you struggle with sleep did you tend to struggle just falling asleep or would it just be fragmented sleep where you'd wake during the night well definitely falling asleep i mm-hmm. just couldn't unwind i couldn't relax um, so that was always my biggest issue. Um, and I think even today, that's the hardest, just relaxing. And, um, you know, I was looking over some of your um, uh, information about relaxing, and it's actually something that, that's fun right now. Like, oh, I have to work on relaxing. I enjoy, I enjoy that. That's like not a hard thing to work on. Mm-hmm. So that's one of my tasks now is I, I have to learn how to relax. 
Mm -hmm. That's great. And, you know, so many people, um, I think especially people with insomnia, uh, they see relaxation as a way of making them sleep, which is kind of this mistaken belief. So we, we, we implement these relaxation techniques. Um, but as soon as we try and make sleep the goal, we're just constantly self-monitoring for sleep the whole time we're going through relaxation. But we, it's so important to bear in mind that the goal of relaxation is just relaxation itself. You know, as soon as you try and make sleep the goal, you just completely, it's almost like you're wasting your time trying to relax at that point. Right. And I know that you emphasize that a lot because because once you give your mind a job to do, your mind is just going to keep looking over your shoulder and checking in. So you can't make sleep your job. I have to fall asleep. Otherwise, you know, all these terrible things are going to happen. And I think it's, it's uh, being um, like a, a very um, overthinking kind of person as a college professor, you know, I'm, I'm an, an overthinker and you probably were too. So we overthink ourselves into not sleeping because we're used to giving ourselves a job and like getting it done. But sleep doesn't fall into that category. It's just completely different. So once you start doing that, it's, it's, it's counter, counterproductive, counterintuitive. So you have to give up the control. Um, and that's, that's the hard part. Yeah, absolutely. I could not agree with you more. Yeah. Um, so, so your sleep problems began, like you were, you were living with insomnia quite a long time, weren't you, before, before you uh, got on the road to recovery? Yeah, it was just like part of my life, you know, like I'd have a bad night or, you know, just uh, go to work on no sleep. And, uh, you know, you just kind of a scary feeling like, oh, my God, can I get through the day like this, you know? Mm -hmm. uh, and then you just, but then the next night I would always sleep and that's kind of like a recovery sleep. And then the next day, sometimes you could feel worse, you know, uh, and just, you know, you get into these, these bad patterns. I mean, I wouldn't say that I, I didn't sleep for long stretches. It would just always be there in the background and something would trigger it, you know? Mm -hmm. So now I, I, I feel like I have more control over it. Mm -hmm. I feel like, you know, I'm, I'm, you're never free of that. It's part of being human to have a bad night now and then, you know, mm -hmm. something is always going to upset you. And the first thing to go is your sleep. But now I can manage it because I, I would like overreact to my insomnia. You know, uh, I, I couldn't get a handle on it. And then that, that of course would make it worse. Right. You know, it's all of these psychological issues come into play. Right. Absolutely. So um, I think originally when you enrolled, uh, when you started working with me, you put down that uh, as your estimate for when your sleep problems began was like 1987, I think it was that you put down. So that was obviously quite, quite a long time that you've been struggling with okay. sleep. Um, and so was this just like this intermittent sleep issues like you, like you just described where you'd have like a patch of bad sleep and it would kind of get back on track and then you go through a bad patch again or yeah i think that's what it was yeah because yeah. uh i think i could always persevere you know i i never I never let myself like have a nervous breakdown over it you know so it didn't go on and on like protracted like where i wouldn't sleep for days uh I just sometimes I just get in a bad loop and you know have a couple of bad nights here and there, but it just was always something persistent. And I think, you know, I had to work on improving my life in a lot of ways, like you know finding uh, finding a career, uh, which I got into teaching. But even more importantly, just feeling comfortable being uh, independent, um, you know, adulting. Um, mm -hmm. So you know, I, I I had to go for you know cognitive therapy um, to have better thoughts and to learn how to have more confidence in myself and, you know, just kind of separate from, um, you know, my mother actually had a very close relationship that was not really that conducive to, you know, being an independent person. So I had like my own psychological issues. So I think whenever you have something like that, I think, you know, it's, it's, your sleep is going to get affected. I mean, at least for me, it did. Cause you know, if I'm, if I'm worried about something, if I'm not happy with my life, I, I, I just, I'm just, I'll tend not to sleep that well. Mm -hmm. it'll manifest itself that way absolutely yeah and i think that is quite normal you know it's especially if we're going through like a sudden period of stress or worry or anxiety it's completely normal for sleep to be disrupted at that point um but then the problem is is if if that one bad night kind of turns into two or three and that's when we tend to be worried about sleep you know and then as soon as we worry about sleep we might try to control sleep and compensate for a bad night of sleep and that's really what sets off like this chain of events that ends up perpetuating the sleep problems and making it harder to shake them off 
Right. And you make more of it than what it is. And then you, you even start to feel like, like, oh, I can't sleep anymore. Forgetting the fact that we all have a natural ability to sleep. It's just there. Like, just like when we were infants, you know, we, we just, we didn't think about it, obviously. So we, we, we think like, oh, I'm becoming some kind of monster. Like I can't sleep anymore. Like I'm different from every other human on the planet. Mm-hmm. But in fact, it's so not true, you know, but we're just like overthinking it and overthinking it. And then it becomes like this big monster, like, you know, literally on our backs. And it's just really, it's like breathing. Sleeping is like breathing, right? Absolutely. That's, that's always the example I love to use, you know, because it's so easy to just become convinced that we've lost the ability to sleep. Um, and this is something I really try and work hard to emphasize is we never lose the ability to sleep, you know, because it is just like breathing. You know, we can hold our breath, but eventually the body will say, uh, uh, that's it. I need oxygen now. And no matter how hard mm. you try, it's going to make you breathe. And that's what sleep is like. Like when we have high levels of anxiety, we can suspend sleep. But eventually the body will just be like, no, no more. We've got to sleep now. And so you will always eventually sleep. Exactly. So what kind of things, uh, what th- everyone with insomnia has tried myriad things to try and improve their sleep. What kind of things had you tried in the past to get your sleep on track? Um, I would say I, I, I tried um, tranquilizers. Uh, I even tried like a sleeping pill and a sleeping pill, I, whatever I, I had something, it was, didn't feel like real sleep. You know, it was like a little bit scary. And those things never work in the long term because you're not changing the way you think about sleep. Now, I still think now and then a tranquilizer can help me. And I'm not saying I, I never use them, but I don't really rely on them as much. It's more like a, a change in my thinking, um, you know, that uh, I, can, I can pave the way for good sleep. Mm-hmm. And it's not the end of the world if, if I don't get a perfect night's sleep. You know, um, I don't want to set myself up for like uh, a f- disaster by, by over-focusing. Mm-hmm. And it's just natural and it's, I will naturally sleep and I just can't worry about it. So the more I worry about it, the worse I'm going to make it. So right. I just have to let go of that worry, you know, because I wanted to always feed my, my insomnia fears. You know, mm-hmm. I just, I don't know, I just got used to doing that, researching about it, you know, especially if you're at work and you can't focus and you have some downtime, you're going to start researching sleep if you're exhausted because you want to sleep the next night. And then you start reading a lot of stuff and then, you know, better not to, to stress so much on it. All right. Absolutely. Had you, had you tried like any of all these over the counter things that they have, they have out now for sleep and insomnia? Did you try any of those? I would say yes. Like I tried the valerian root and, um, like other herbal supplements. I tried melatonin, mm-hmm. you know, but it's this, really nothing is, is going to be a, a, a cure, so to speak. Right. Absolutely. Um, yeah. A, a lot of people that they'll, they'll try all these over the counter supplements, etc. And the, the problem we have with them is there's really not that much evidence to support their effectiveness. Um, sometimes people will take them and they'll find them helpful. Um, I suspect it's probably more of a placebo effect, but if that's working for them, it's fine. But the problem that you have is as soon as then you have a bad night again, you start to panic that whatever that pill is that you were taking is no longer working and that you're immediately more anxious because Mm -hmm. now you have to look for a new solution. Mm -hmm. And so it can really just send you down this rabbit hole of just always looking for solutions, always researching. And before you know it, like, insomnia just takes over your whole thought process, you know, not just at night. It takes, it just becomes all consuming. Right. Like you think about it during the day. Am I going to sleep tonight? I'm going to sleep tonight. I, I remember having days like that and it's just really all wrong thinking. Absolutely. Yeah. Um, all right. So, so let's move on. Um, you, you started working with me back in October, 2018 last year. Um, so that was from the time of recording this, that was about seven months ago. Um, so what prompted you to reach out and think, okay, let's, let, let's tackle this now head on. Um, well, it's, it's an interesting question because, um, it was uh, shortly after my birthday. My birthday's coming up on Monday, so it's May twentieth. Oh, happy birthday! <laughs> so, thank you. So, so last year on my birthday, um, I didn't have a good birthday because I, I I was not in a good place and I was 
uh, dealing with, you know, some stressful things. And of course it came out of my sleep. So on the day of my birthday, I was in a really bad mood. I was, and I, I just said to my husband, I don't want to celebrate my birthday. I don't want to open any presents. And I was just so negative and I couldn't get over, you know, not sleeping. And it's interesting. My, my, my husband will have bad nights now and then, but He's so different. He will just shake it off. Like he would never probably react that way. Like he would always be like in a good mood, especially if it were his birthday. But for me, like not having slept, I was like, no, I don't even want to celebrate my birthday. And then I realized like, wow, you know, this is like a big deal for me. Like I, I should be able to, you know, handle this better. Um, and I, I just started realizing that, um, you know, maybe I can learn more about insomnia. Maybe I can, you know, finally get a handle on this and, and help myself some way because it just seemed like it, I would have these, you know, extreme reactions to not sleeping. And I felt like, you know, I should, I should know how to handle this better, you know, especially having lived with it for so many years. It, it's, it's not like I'm, you know, a, a young adult and it's like all new and, oh my God, I never had this before. Like, this is like something I've lived with, but it should be getting better. So I thought, you know, why not uh, enroll in your course? I had signed up for your free emails and they were very helpful. So I, I, I said, you know what, it's really, it's really an investment in my, in my, my physical, my mental, emotional health. And mm. I'm really glad I, I did that because I learned, learned so much from you. Great. Um, so for those that aren't aware, so um, the, what I do when I work with clients is I've really focused on these evidence-based cognitive behavioral therapy for insomnia, CBTI techniques, because I'm absolutely convinced they are the best way to improve sleep. Um, not just for the short term, but for the long term as well, because they teach you the new way of thinking about sleep and they give you skills that stay with you, you know, for the rest of your life. So if you kind of have a setback in the future, even if it's 10, 20 years from now, you've got all those skills because you've learned them. So you can just go back and revisit them. Um, had you tried any, had you heard of CBTI uh, before you enrolled in my course and started working with me? Um. I think I, I'd heard about the importance of, you know, sticking to a, a, a set sleep schedule. I, mm -hmm. I always knew that was important, that you shouldn't sleep in on the weekends. Mm -hmm. But I didn't know all the different facets of it. Like, you know, you taught me about the association of the bed with sleep and how important that is for you subconsciously. Mm -hmm. Because if you're just spending hours in bed not sleeping, then you're setting up a, a negative association, which makes so much sense. But I had never really thought about that. Mm -hmm. Yeah, absolutely. So the sleep conditioning that you taught me was very helpful. Okay. So um, talking about this, uh, that's often like one of the techniques. This is, um, is part of stimulus control. Um, and what we do is we want to relearn to see the bed as a place for sleep. And so the way we do that is if we're in bed and we're not sleeping, we get out of bed. So that can be very challenging for a lot of people to, to try because it seems just so counterintuitive. You know, yeah. I'm lying here, I want to sleep, but mm -hmm. this technique is telling me I have to get out of bed now. How, how am I going to sleep? Did you kind of struggle with, 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 with that as a concept? I did. And at first, uh, I just assumed I should just get up and read because, you know, I'm a reader. And so I'd go into the lounge chair and, and, and read. But, you know, I, I didn't really, uh, didn't, didn't really want to do that all the time, especially like, you know, you don't want to put a light on and then to like to actually engage in reading. Uh, it seems like, wow, I don't really want to be doing this in the middle of the night. So I, I did that for a while. And then I, I started uh, leaving my yoga mat out and I said, you know what, I could just do some stretches mm -hmm. and that feels a little bit better. I'm not in bed. I'm, I'm, I'm on my mat and I'm still uh, doing something a little bit more relaxing as opposed to like engaging in a book, you know? Mm -hmm. So now I, I, I tend to, to go on the mat and do stretches. Um, I like that. Yeah, it's, it's hard to leave the bed, especially when it's freezing cold, but just get up and put a robe on, you know, mm -hmm. just do it um, because it does make sense. And it, it becomes kind of torturous, I would say, to just lie there. I mean, and that when you feel that, you just have to get out, mm -hmm. get out of the bed. Yeah, I, I completely agree with you. Um, like w when I encounter a lot of resistance from people about this idea, um, I ask them, well, do you find it relaxing and unpleasant to be lying in bed frustrated and anxious, tossing and turning? Perhaps it would feel a little bit better if you just got out of bed um, because it really doesn't matter so much what you do when you get out of bed. The important thing is to just get out of bed. So, like you just said, some people do like to just get out and read a book. 
Um, but it's all about finding what works for you. You know, so for you, it was doing some, some light trekking during the night. Um, it's really just about just getting out of bed and just removing yourself from this really stressful situation. Right. And the other thing I want to mention, which I was thinking about before this, this little interview was you have, you freed me from, you freed me from the tyranny of the clock in the middle of the night. And I have, you know, I just was, I was reading over what you said, what you wrote about in a, an ideal world, there would be no clocks in the bedroom. Mm -hmm. uh, and that's so true. So I, I, you know, but of course we, we need our clocks to wake us up. So, so you just turn it around so you don't see it. I, I just don't look at the clock. I mean, I see it, but it's turned around. So I never want to see what time it is. And I, I feel so free from that. You know, I, I, it's just, it's, I, it just frees you up. Um, once you, you know, the hour, I, it just could just, it has an effect on you. It's just much better being in this kind of like limbo. You just really don't know what time it is. Who cares? You know, it's not important. It's just going to have a negative effect. You're going to start calculating, you know, numbers in your head. So that, that was really, really, uh, that's so helpful for me. Yeah. It's so funny that you say that because, um, it, it, it's just such a simple piece of advice, right? Mm. Just don't check the time during the night, but oh, it can no. have such a dramatic difference, you know, because, um, a lot of people tell me that if I'll tell them that, if I say, have you tried just not checking the time at night? Uh, they say, well, no, because just the idea of not checking the clock will give me anxiety. Mm. So then I'll say, okay, well, when have you been really struggling with sleep and you've checked the time during the night and it says, I don't know, like 3.30 a.m. or 4.30 a.m. And you've thought, great, now I'm really relaxed and yeah. I'm going to go straight to sleep. It probably never has happened, right? No, never, never, no. You just don't want to see those hours. Yeah, exactly. Why so, do you need to know that? Unless something happens in the middle of the night, someone's going to say, well, what time was that? Well, I don't know. I can't tell you, you know, so hopefully nothing happens that I, I need to know. I need to report a time. Right. So you just think of it as like, just it's like all, all a blur, you know, it's, it's, it's some time, but I don't really need to know because then you just start calculating and you, you, it's, you go to a bad place. Yeah. So I do, I do appreciate just not knowing what time it is. Even, even if I am sleeping well and I get up to use the bathroom, I don't want to, I don't even check the time. I just don't look anymore. Mm -hmm. Yeah, don't absolutely. Don't want to know what time it is. That, that's such a good, that's such a good technique. And it's really, really good that you brought that up because I wasn't mm. planning on actually, I wasn't even planning on talking about that, but it is really, really helpful to hear that from someone that's found it beneficial. And so I think, Hopefully, even if it's just one person listening to this and they just mm -hmm. try just not to check the clock for a few nights, and I think they'll get a positive result from that. And yeah, just, let's say break up with the clock. Yeah, absolutely. You know, we have this relationship with it all day. So at night, just break up with it. Absolutely. So, um, so you mentioned that at first the idea of getting out of bed when you just trying to read instead of doing the stretching was a little bit difficult. Were there any other of the techniques that you learned, these CBTI techniques that you found difficult to implement? Um, well, I think also you had said, you know, I was leaving a lot of time for sleep. Uh, and so it was a little hard to, to say, oh, okay, I have to get out of bed now. I would, you know, I would think like, oh, I just, you know, if I don't have to go to work, if I have a free day, I'll just try to sleep as much as I can and leave all this, you know, get out of bed whenever. And, and that's really not a good way of looking at it. Mm. Uh, you know, so you have to have that set schedule. Uh, it's not really good to go over it uh, because your, your body acclimates and you, you feel better. Like if I get up every day around 7, 7.30, why should I sleep one day till 8 or 8.30? It's going to kind of throw me off. And right. in the past, I used to think like, oh, any extra sleep is good sleep. But, you know, there is such a thing as like, oversleeping and then not feeling so great. And I think that's getting out of your sleep pattern. Yeah, you know, absolutely. Sleep mm -hmm. a little bit too much. Yeah. So, so what you're talking about is we have, when, when we work through a course of CBTI, we really try and match the amount of time you allot for sleep with the amount of time you're actually currently sleeping, not the amount of sleep you want to be getting, but just what you're currently getting. So if someone is say averaging five hours of sleep at night, we really don't want to be spending like a lot more than around five and a half hours for sleep because we really want to fill that sleep window, you know, with like consistent chunk of sleep rather than this light fragmented sleep. Um, cause a lot of people will, I think I want to get eight or nine hours of sleep. So they'll spend 
eight or nine hours in bed, right? But if you're only sleeping around five hours, you're just setting yourself up for four hours of wakefulness, of tossing and turning. Mm-hmm. So that can definitely be um, an, an obstacle for a lot of people. Um, did you find that you, the, the like mental struggle that you have with that concept, did it take a few weeks to shake that off or did you kind of recognize the benefits straight away? I think I recognize the benefits straight away pretty soon. Mm-hmm. And also on the other end of that, right. So getting up a little earlier, the other part of that was going to bed a little later, mm-hmm. uh, which at first to me was a little odd because I would think, oh, well, I want to get as much rest as I can. If I'm a little bit tired at 1030, I'm going to go to bed at 1030. When you calculated, I really should be going to bed at 1130. And then it was kind of like you gave me a gift because you gave me this extra hour at night that I could do stuff. Mm-hmm. <laughs> I, was, I thought, wow, I, I'm going to bed a little too early if I'm getting up at 730. Uh, I have a little more time uh, you know, to, to do some reading before I go to bed or just you know chatting with my husband, not about anything really too consequential, of course, you know, keeping it light, mm-hmm. but um, just, just having a little extra time. And, and so then I appreciated that. Um, and I realized I, I was probably going to bed a little too early and letting myself get up whenever so mm-hmm. that I would, I would allot way too much time for, for sleeping. And then I wouldn't be sleeping, uh, you know, the whole time, of course, in the bed. So I had those wasted hours. Mm-hmm. Yeah, absolutely. I, 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 you know, that's quite familiar. I have a few people that tell me that, you know, they're like, at first, the idea of going to bed so much later was like, I just couldn't figure out that I'd get on with that. But then they reflect back on it and they're like, wow, I had like this extra time, you know, I could do like, I could add this extra time to relax or extra time to get some chores done or be be a little bit more productive earlier in the evening because I knew that I wasn't going to bed at say nine o'clock at night to toss and turn, but I'd be going to bed at 11 o'clock or midnight. Um, And then over time I'd fall asleep much quicker as well because I had enough time for the sleep drive to build during the day. Right, right. Because going to bed earlier is working against yourself because you're not really quite ready to go to sleep and you're anxious about it. You're, you're saying, okay, it's really early. I have a lot of extra time now and, and you're focusing too much on it. Like it's like a job, like I'm, mm-hmm. I'm going to get a head start on my job and it's really the wrong way to go about it. Yeah, exactly. And especially when you combine that with not keeping a consistent out of bedtime in the morning, you know, Mm -hmm. because if you, it's so tempting, you know, like if you're say following a sleep window, let's say it just ends at 6am and you don't fall asleep, let's say until 5.30am because you've been up and down all night, you're having a really bad night. And then the alarm goes off at six. You know, oh, the temptation to just look, I, can, I know I can get a couple of extra hours in. You really want to just stay in bed. But if you do that, you know, that's just going to reduce your sleep drive for the next night. And it's also just going to put like your circadian rhythm, your body clock is just going to be all, all, all out of whack because it hasn't got a strong morning anchor in the morning. So I really do like, I, I, I think it's like one of the most important things you can do, you know, is just make sure you're always out of bed by a certain time and just keep it consistent every day. And you also mentioned morning light is important, even just yeah. sitting by a window, I think. Yeah, it is. Um, that's just like another one of these signals that it gives to the body clock, you know, that it's time to be awake, to, to start generating these alerting signals to keep us awake. Um, it's just like this kind of society that we're in now, everything is kind of just constant. You know, as soon as we wake up, we're under artificial light. We go to work, we're under artificial light. We have air conditioning, climate control. There's no variation really in light. There's no variation in temperature. We're just kind of living in this bubble. So all these environmental cues that our body clock is looking for are kind of suppressed. Mm. So even if all we do when we get up in the morning is just eat our breakfast by the window or something, or, or just go for a really short walk around the block, just to like get that, just get that rhythm started again, you know, especially if you're the kind of person that wakes up and you feel quite groggy in the morning, just, uh, just getting active, just going outside, even if it's just like five minutes outside, just sit on the porch or have a coffee out there or something like that, get that light exposure can, re- can really be helpful. Right. And then at the other end at night, you want to get rid of these electronic devices that are so addicting for all of us. You know, I could just go on my phone and just 
be on there and just be checking out a million things, but I just have to stop myself and, and say, this is like bad. This, um, this light is interfering with the melatonin production, right? It's not, it's going to make me more alert. Mm-hmm. You know, I like, I do like to read. So a book is, is much better. I, yeah. I just got to put that phone away. Yeah, absolutely. You know, what, one of the things that about like phones and electronic devices is everyone's always talking about the light that they emit. And I think that is part of the problem, but I'm more of the, I think that a bigger problem perhaps is just, they're so arousing these things, you know, like it's like you've got your notifications coming up. Uh, you might be checking your Facebook and your Instagram. You might have a text message come in. Uh, you start looking at a web page. you open up a new link in a new tab before you know it. Well, from my experience before I know it, I've got like 30 tabs open and I'm like, I'll oh, just finish these set of tabs and I'll go to sleep. Oh, but then on the last tab, there's a new link and then you open mm. up a new tab. And so it's just, it's really hard to just switch off. And you can find out anything. You could be watching a TV show and you want to know something about that person. You just Google them. Right. And then you're reading biographies of people. I mean, everything's at our fingertips. So you have to just really, really make a strong effort. To, I mean, to just put that phone away because we're so curious naturally, you know. Mm-hmm. And as you say, one link needs, leads to another. Right. You just have to break it. Because we, <laughs> could, we could just be on that all night. And, you know, as a college professor, my, I know my students are all addicted to technology. Mm-hmm. You know, they're all addicted and they use it as a, as a, as a break from writing essays and studying and it just just kind of wreaks havoc havoc with all of us because we 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 lack the discipline because we're mentally curious you know and it is just so stimulating it just fits right in the palm of your hand i know when i'm really tired when i'm sleep deprived if you give me my phone i will go crazy with it i will i'll just keep googling stuff and i will just have to just take it out of my hands myself Mm -hmm. because i'm just like a crazy person with it because my mind isn't functioning i'm so tired and i'm just like reading whatever Mm-hmm. So I have no, my discipline is, 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 is low at that point, you know, mm-hmm. because I'm so tired. So yeah. I know I have to keep away from the phone at night. Absolutely. Definitely. <laughs> um, yeah. So I, I normally say just as a general rule is um, at least that hour before you tend to go to bed, it's just to like try and put the phone or like these stimulating devices down and just anything else that you find relaxing helps you unwind just just do that in the last hour you know just because it's they're kind of like time drains as well these devices you know before you know it like two hours has gone by when you when you're only planning on being on there for 10 minutes i love the buffer zone and and to make you you use the word um oh you said constructive thinking i was Mm. rereading and and i i that really um it kind of um stood out to me constructive thinking uh really important at night especially if you tend to be negative you know, and, and you want to be good with all your relationships. Um, you know, like uh, I recently got married in 2016, you know, so I was used to just always being alone at night, but I have to check in with my husband. I have to feel good about what's going on between us. You know, if we have like issues, I don't want to bring them up right before I go to sleep. You know, mm-hmm. I just want to feel good that, um, you know, everything's good between us. And if we have to go over something important, we could save it for the morning or another time. It's like that time is pretty sacred and you want to have like good feelings. Uh, that word constructive is really important. So you want to keep all your relationships constructive. Like, you know, they say, obviously never go to bed angry at someone, right? Mm-hmm. The old saying, you know, the husband goes to sleep on the couch. Like, I feel like I have to be good with my, my relationship and just, uh, just have positive thoughts in general, I think. You know, it's really important. You could have those negative thoughts, you know, later mm-hmm. <laughs> the next day. They're always going to be there. Yeah, that's right. Um, yeah, so this is one of the techniques that I like to use, this constructive thinking technique, because for a lot of people with insomnia, they'll they'll go to bed and their mind just becomes alive. You know, it could be sleep-related worries, but it might not be. It might just be worry about a project you're doing at work or worry about relationships or even just your to-do list. And as soon as the mind's active, it makes sleep more difficult. So the idea with constructive thinking is you allot some time during the daytime for this. Um, and you write down everything that's on your mind, especially if it's the same kind of thoughts that tend to occur at night. You write them all down. And then alongside each of them, if there's a potential solution, you write down what the solution might be. If there's not a solution, you just write, you know, like no, no apparent solution yet. And then you can revisit that the next day. 
And then when you get into bed at night, as soon as your mind starts firing up again, you can kind of remind yourself, well, look, I've already gone through this all during the day when I was awake, alert, and better able to process these thoughts and worries. Um, so it's kind of not constructive for me to be doing this now. I've already gone through this. And if a new thought or worry crops up, then you just tell yourself, well, look, I'll address this in tomorrow's scheduled time for constructive thinking. Um, and I think it's such a helpful technique. Mm, yeah, I, I love the phrase, the phrase constructive thinking, you know, because we, we all tend to go into negative thinking. I mean, it's, you know, very common. And especially when you're not sleeping, you start to get depressed and then your thought patterns become really dark. Yeah, absolutely. And I think we just, we, we're a lot more rational during the daytime. You know, everything seems, all our worries seem a lot more amplified at night just because like the parts of the brain that process this, that do this high level of cognitive thinking are kind of shutting down, ready for sleep. Um, so it's harder for us to be rational at nighttime with, with thoughts and worries. So if we do it during the day, not only does it shift it away from the nighttime, but it also lets us better process these worries. Also, as the day goes on, you know, our decision-making ability dwindles. So mm -hmm. there's a lot, a lot of research about you know, you don't want to be making important decisions at night. Like, let's say you're planning a big event like a wedding and then you go after work with your, your partner to, to make all these wedding plans. At a certain point, you're just going to be whatever you decide because you've already made all these decisions about what you're going to have for lunch and what you're going to mm -hmm. wear and blah, 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 blah. You know, and it's like by the end of the day, like our minds just can't do it anymore. Oh, yeah, absolutely. That, well, that's what I think that's where the phrase we'll sleep on it comes from, right? Because through the ages, we've recognized that you can't make a good decision like at nighttime. You, you want to sleep on it and then look at it again the next day. Yeah, so all the more reason to just go into that buffer zone and, and just have some positive thoughts and not really like ruminate on something, you know, try to tackle a problem. Mm -hmm. It's just going to, just going to, keep your mind aroused. It's, it's not a good idea. Absolutely. So you've already covered like quite a lot of stuff that you found really helpful that, that you learned. Was there anything else that sticks out in your mind as being particularly helpful, like a technique or just a, a, a change in the way you thought about sleep in general? Um, I think just the way I thought about sleep in general, that you can't force sleep because I'm, I'm, I'm someone like who's a doer who like, you know, wants to get things done and, mm -hmm. and sleep is like, just like a different animal, you know? And so you can't make it this project. Uh, it's not like a job, it's, it's a natural thing. And just all the, the uh, counterintuitiveness about sleep, the more you try to sleep, the less you can sleep. Uh, and you also, you wrote Martin about people who are good sleepers and you said that they look forward to going to sleep uh, because they don't obsess about it. They don't worry about sleep. Therefore they sleep. And so that stuck out to me. You know, um, that was, was um, you know, something that, 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 that's so true, I think, because uh, you know, I, I would envy those people and say, Oh, they're good sleepers, but you know, I'm a good sleeper too. If I just, if I just don't think about sleep and just decide to, if I just give up my obsession with it, Mm -hmm. and just become my, like my natural infant self that I once was, you know, I can be that, I can be a good sleeper too. I'm just not going to worry about it. Mm -hmm. I'm not going to make it my life project. I'm not going to put a label insomniac on myself uh, because that's like totally self-defeating. Mm -hmm. Yeah, absolutely. Absolutely. Um, I, and I think this is why another reason why these CBTI techniques are so helpful, you know, because the C stands for cognitive, which is like the thought process. So it just changes the way you think about sleep, which is exactly what you just described. But then you've got the B, which stands for the behavioral techniques, which is, you know, not going to bed too early, getting out of bed at a consistent time every day um, and getting out of bed when you can't sleep. Uh, buffer zone, you know, so it combines it. So not only does it try and change the way you think about sleep, but it also gives you these, this behavioral aspect as well. Um, because a lot of people will struggle with just, oh, look, I know that I shouldn't worry about sleep, but it's easier said than done. You know, so when you combine that, when you add on the behavioral techniques, that can also help to improve sleep. It's right. like give you the confidence yeah. back. Right. And you said like, you can't ever force sleep, right? So mm -hmm. you, you can just set the stage for a good night's sleep. And you always say that the more, more rules you break, you know, um, like going up that ladder, you talk about, mm -hmm. you know, 
that you're just going to make problems for yourself. So, um, yeah, I like the idea of setting the stage for sleep and, you know, doing everything I can to get a good night's sleep, but not obsessing about it, not saying you had better sleep well tonight, uh, because that's like a diff that's like a different part of your brain sort of scolding you and, and watching you. And mm -hmm. it's not, it's, it's, it's not conducive to sleep. Absolutely. Absolutely. Yeah. Um, so, so you can, you've finished working with me like about seven months ago. So how has your sleep been since you finished the course? I mean, has it continued to get better? Have there been any setbacks? I think it's continued to get better. Mm -hmm. Um, I've had um, some setbacks, but you know, I, I, I feel like again, it has to do with things that are going on in my life, stresses, mm -hmm. um, and then my sleep gets affected. Um, but you know, when I have a, a bad night of sleep, I can manage much better now. Um, you know, you taught me about getting the five and a half, you know, hours of core sleep. Um, I learned about, you know, taking, you know, a nap if I absolutely have to, but keeping it earlier in the day, trying mm -hmm. to keep it to a half hour. Um, you know, so, uh, I feel like I, I cope better with, with the loss of sleep and then it, it doesn't uh, sort of snowball into something too big because I, I know I have a handle on it. I have all these techniques. I have all these tools. So mm. yeah. So now and then I, you know, it's just part of being human. I think that, that you, you, you can't sleep. Something's on your mind, you know, um, just part of being human. Yeah. You know, somebody in your family's sick or some, so something's going on. I, I think there are some people though, maybe they can sleep through certain things and they're really blessed. You know, but most of us, these little things can keep us up. Uh, but then it's just a matter of just, you know, kind of resetting everything and recovering and, and knowing that I'm not going to go like sort of off the rails with this and, you know, let it snowball. Mm -hmm. that I'll, I'll just sleep fine the next night and I'll get back to my routine. Yeah. So that's what's happened, you know, just keeping my, my routines, not breaking rules. And I think also at one point I, I noticed I was breaking a couple rules. I was getting too confident. And then I said, oh, yeah, I remember what he said. The more rules you break, the less likely, you know, the more likely you are to have a bad night. So then I, I sort of cleaned up my act a little bit. Mm -hmm. You know, I was getting a little sloppy. <laughs> yeah, right. Yeah, I, I think this is something that I always try and leave clients with when they stop working with me is you've got to expect that there's still going to be bad nights. You know, because mm -hmm. even great sleepers will have bad nights. Um, and instead of just worrying about them as soon as they happen, um, first of all, just look to see if there is an external cause. You know, so if you're going through stress at work, for example, well, there you go. That's why you struggled that night. Um, but again, if you, even if you can't recognize a cause, then don't obsess about it, you know, because it was in the past. Just recognize that the bad nights will happen as long as you stay consistent um, with the techniques that you've learned or reintroduce them, you know, like because a lot of people, as they regain this confidence in their sleep, they just don't think about sleep anymore. So they don't feel they need to um, follow like a consistent sleep window. Um, they feel more confident that they can take weekend lions. And if that's not affecting your sleep, it's fine. But then if you notice that your sleep starts to fall off the rails again, then you can just reintroduce the techniques. You know, it's really about just seeing that you're still going to have a bad night every now and then um, and just try not to obsess about it when it happens. Yes. Yes. And another thing, another thing that I'm, I just remembered is when you're in that situation, um, trying, trying to force yourself to sleep doesn't work. So you can try forcing yourself to stay awake, it's very interesting. Mm -hmm. It's very freeing. It really frees you to say, you know what, I'm just going to stay awake. I, I'm not, you know, and, th and then you're not trying to sleep. It's like, you know, trying to sleep. I'm just going to stay awake. It's fine. Mm -hmm. And that really works very nicely. It, it kind of frees you in that moment. You don't, you know, you don't feel like a prisoner to sleep and you just say, okay, whatever. I'm not even going to try to sleep. And then that, that actually works better. It's, it's a much better, um, you know, mental position to be in, right? Yeah, that's great. Yeah. So this is called um, paradoxical intention. I love that. Yeah. Fancy name for it. Yeah. And yes. the idea is it just removes this performance anxiety that a lot right. of us have about sleep. So instead of getting into bed and trying to sleep, you do the exact opposite. You try and stay awake. So you're not doing, you're not like actively trying to stay awake in the sense that you're slapping yourself around the face and pouring right, buckets right. of water, but you're doing something like, I'm going to keep my eyes open. Right. 
as I feel my eyes get heavy, I'm going to say, no, I'm going to keep them open for like five more minutes, five more minutes. And then as soon as you remove the focus from trying to sleep to trying to stay awake, you're no longer trying to sleep. And so paradoxically, sleep becomes easier. Sleep becomes easier yeah, because you're not worrying about relaxing it. Relaxing because yeah. you don't have any pressure. This is really interesting. Yeah, I, I, I love the technique. You know, I don't really talk that, that much to people that have actually tried it. So you really, uh, you, you really uh, got my interest going as soon as you mentioned it. Did, did it you helps. find it helpful just like the first night you tried it? Or did you, did you practice it for a few nights? Or? Um, I think it's like a kind of a, la a last resort thing. Like if mm -hmm. I'm just, you know, I, I've just been struggling too much. And you just, your mind just says, you know what, I'm just that's it. I'm, I don't want to even try to sleep anymore. So it's sort of a last resort thing. But now I, I, I use it. I use it more at the beginning. If I feel like I'm not sleeping, I just say, well, I'm not really going to try to sleep, you know, mm -hmm. and it just, just calms me down a bit. Because yeah. I'm always telling myself you, you have to sleep. I think, isn't that like what they call the super ego, you know, the part of your brain that like kind of, I don't know, it's like your parents' voices are there, all the criticisms you grew up with, that's the scolding authoritarian figures mm -hmm. of our lives. So then sleep is, is, is manifested in that section as well. And that's, that's very bad, you know? Right. So you're, you're, you're telling yourself you had better do this. And of course, you can't, you're setting yourself up not to do it. Because mm -hmm. yeah. it's like a job you have to do. So it's very interesting, you know? So are you a bit of a psychologist, Martin? <laughs> <laughs> uh, well, not, not in an official capacity, but sometimes like the, the, all the time that I spend talking to people about insomnia, I feel like I get some really interesting insights mm -hmm. um, behind the thought processes that go on. And it's really what I tend to find really interesting is that insomnia from person to person is so much more similar than it's different. Mm. Um, so many people with insomnia, they think that somehow their insomnia is unique and therefore they can't be helped. There's no answers. There's no solution for them. Um, but when I talk to them, you know, some people are surprised. They, they tell me, they, they describe their insomnia to me and they say, why aren't you surprised? I thought you'd be really surprised by this. And I'll tell them, well, I've just, earlier on today, I've spoken to three people who told me almost the exact same story as you. I mean, the, the intricate details were a little bit different, but the, the themes were all the same. You know, you got this initial trigger led to a bad night of sleep. You weren't worried about it, but then one night turned into two nights and three nights. Then you started to worry. Then you start to implement certain behaviors to try and compensate for sleep. You do research, you think about sleep, and it just kind of snowballs from there. And that really is just the, so common. I mean, it's almost textbook. Almost everyone that I talk to has a virtual textbook case of insomnia. Right. And you also talk about then uh, compensating for loss of sleep and, you know, not calling in sick and then not going out with friends at night. And then all of that is also not good. That, that, that doesn't help. That makes the problem worse because you really yeah. need to socialize. Mm -hmm. And, you know, I find when I'm out with friends, um, socializing and having a good time, like usually the, that night I'll just pass out because mm -hmm. I've had so much fun. I've been stimulated and I'm just like so relaxed that I'll fall asleep. Yeah. You know? So it is really good to go out. But when you feel tired, you'll say like, oh, no, I'm not up to it. I, ha I have to leave all this time for sleep. Yeah, it's one. It's so tempting to just like cancel plans with friends or call in sick to work after you've had a bad night. But this tends to do more harm than good, you know, because um, the only things that lead to sleep is being awake and being active. So by being inactive, you're taking away one of those things straight away. And then you're always just going to give insomnia a bad outcome when you cancel your, your plans around sleep. You know, if you force yourself to go into work or force yourself to see friends, it might be a little bit more difficult, um, but you're probably going to notice some good moments. You might even have a great time. You know, the possibility of good stuff happening is there. But when you cancel everything, 100% guaranteed bad outcome. Um, and you're, you're just going to spend more time thinking about sleep, worrying about sleep. You might be more tempted to like nap during the day or go to bed earlier. Um, and it's just it keeps perpetuating the problem and makes it harder to get the sleep back on track. Yeah. I think you have to distract yourself from it, you know? Yeah, you, absolutely. You focus on it. And the thing is like, you, you feel so bad and you're suffering. So you want to get better. So that's why you focus on it. But really it's really the worst thing to do. You know, you yeah. have to just refocus, go think about other things, mm -hmm. have it be the last thing that you think about. 
So it's like reconditioning your mind. Yeah, it, it really is. Um, I just wanted to touch upon, because I think some people aren't going to be familiar. Earlier on, you mentioned like the whole five and a half hours of core sleep. Oh, right. Yeah, you um, taught me about that. Yeah. So what this is, is I, I try and emphasize the fact that there's no evidence that insomnia causes any health problem whatsoever. You know, all the media loves to come up with these traumatic headlines most of the time, they're not looking at people with insomnia. They're just looking at people that they artificially sleep deprived. Um, and even if they are using people with insomnia, sometimes they find some associations, but they never find causations. So I like to talk about the fact that where the research really is, is based on like daytime mood, which is really like a quality of life thing, which still needs to be taken seriously, you know, because insomnia is the debilitating it can have a really negative impact on your quality of life and where the research really points is it says that as long as we kind of get like this minimum core sleep of like five and a half hours or so um, we should be able to function pretty well during the day um, and so this kind of runs counter to this whole myth that we all need eight hours of sleep so just knowing that really your, your, the amount of sleep you need is probably closer to like five or five and a half hours. And even then that's only to help you function during the day and help keep your mood reasonably positive. And there's no, there's no other health reasons that you need to be aiming for a certain sleep duration. It can just take so much of the burden or the pressure you're putting yourself under to get a certain amount of sleep in each night. It reminds me of my wedding night. I think I got about five and a half hours and mm -hmm. I read something about how, how much sleep do most brides get? You know, it's like such an important day and you obsess about, Oh, I want to feel good on my wedding. And I, you know, of course for me, I would think, Oh my God, am I going to, you know, have a terrible night of sleep? But I got about five and a half hours and like, I just was so high that day, you know, that mm -hmm. it was just so joyful. Uh, and I just got the sleep I needed, you know, because it's, it's, I think, you know, before wedding, before your wedding, you can't really sleep that well. <laughs> you just, right. you're not going to get eight hours, but you're going to be in a good mood. Yeah, absolutely. And, and the, the interesting thing as well is that with people with, with chronic insomnia that have lived with insomnia for a long time, they tend to be, their bodies compensate for this. They tend to be really good at getting through the day. You know, whether mm. it's just like with extra jolt of cortisol or adrenaline, like we, we, they tend not to be actually sleepy during the day it's more like a fatigue but their body kind of drives them through it and helps them get through the day each day so um it, it's really important to recognize that and that's another reason why it's really not a good idea to like cancel plans during the day because once you actually try and stick to your routine sometimes you can be really surprised that how well the day goes or mm -hmm. the fact that you can get through the day even after a really bad night yeah, and I want to use my husband as an example because I, I told you his personality is very different from mine, which is probably why we're together. He doesn't worry as much. So he his, has his own issues with insomnia. He will fall asleep right away. I mean, he can fall asleep very fast, but then he might wake up, let's say like two in the morning, one in the one or two in the morning, and then not go back to sleep at all. Mm -hmm. And but he doesn't he doesn't like to get out of bed. He just wants to stay in bed and he'll start working, go, doing all the wrong things. But then uh, he, he still will manage to get through the day. Uh, he's very excited about his job in working in real estate. And he'll, he'll come home and say he had a great day. And, and I'll say, how did you do that? And like, I, I, I don't know how you did that. And he'll say, I just pushed through it. Uh, and, and, you know, his excitement for his job kind of overtakes his fatigue. Mm -hmm. um, so I think he's a great example of someone. Who, and he doesn't obsess about it. He doesn't, he'll, he, he'll just, he won't say like, oh, I have to go to bed early. He'll just, he'll like say, oh, I didn't sleep. Is that what it was? I didn't sleep well. He like forgets. Right. I think he's kind of blessed in a way. I, 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 I use him as a role model in that way. <laughs> I just push through it. Don't focus on it. Mm -hmm. Yeah. Well, you know, it's a really key insight um, that the quality of our sleep doesn't dictate the quality of our day, you know? So just like we can have a great night of sleep, but kind of have a really bad day. We can also have a really bad night of sleep, but then have a really good day. Mm -hmm. But if we don't give our, ourselves the opportunity to, to test that, you know, to, the opportunity to give ourselves a good day, if we just cancel everything, then we're definitely going to have a bad day. Well, I, I, I remember a very important story I read about a, a surgeon who was, uh, he was going to separate a Siamese twins. 
you know, conjoined twins. And he was so hyped up about the operation. It was going to be like a 48 hour operation. So of course he said, I have to get a good night's sleep. Well, what happened? He was so hyped up. He didn't sleep, Mm -hmm. but he did a great job. He did his job. He separated the twins. He went for 48 hours. He did what he had to do, you know, so it happens to the best of us. You know, your mind kind of psychs you out. Um, but you do end up getting through it. And also as a teacher, you know, I have to stand in front of people and talk. And sometimes, you know, if I haven't gotten all my rest, I feel like I'm going to get people's names wrong. I'm going to say something dumb, but mm-hmm. I, I managed to, I always managed to be professional. And I don't think people notice what we notice because we're a lot, a lot harder on ourselves. Yeah, absolutely. You know, that can be a really good test to do as well. You know, if you're really convinced that, your insomnia is so visible to everyone else. You can actually just like ask people, you know, ask your coworker, just say, have you, did you tell that I only got three hours of sleep last night? Most of the time they'll look at you and think, what? No, I hadn't. How would I know that? I haven't, I have no clue. You know, like, cause we can just become convinced that everyone is like looking at us differently. Like they can tell, like we look awful, we had a bad night or our work is getting really sloppy. A lot of that is just internal. It's just in our own minds. Yeah. And going back to my husband, he, he said to me, this was, I thought this was incredible. He said to me, I actually think I focus better when I don't sleep well. And I was looking at him like, are you nuts? Like, but it works for him. You know, if he can make it work on three hours, he has a laser like focus then, uh, you know, all the more power to him. Yeah, absolutely. I, I completely agree. So, um, so let's just uh, kind of wrap this up a little bit. Um, if here's a question I wanted to ask you. Okay, so if there's someone listening with chronic insomnia, they think they've tried everything, mm. they're beyond help, they can't do anything to improve their sleep. What would you say to them? Well, I would say that there's always hope. Always hope. Uh, I would definitely recommend working with you, uh, and I would say you know. Um, don't think you've lost the ability to sleep because that's like saying you're not a human being anymore or like that you can't breathe or like you're turning into the reptile man. You know, that man that has tattoos all over himself and thinks he's a reptile. He's not a human anymore. Well, hello, he's still a human. Uh, you have to sleep. You know, it's, it's just built into you. So you're just overthinking it. You're overthinking it so much that you're, you're making it this huge problem that it doesn't have to be. Um, and I would say that, you know, it can be an interesting and kind of a fun journey to, to find your way back to sleep. Um, and you have to stop scaring yourself that um, you're in a terrible place and you can't get out of it. And I, I know I used to do that. I'd be like, oh my God, I'm in this terrible place again. I've fallen into a hole. How do I get out? So you taught me techniques to avoid, you know, falling into that, that, that pit hole. Mm-hmm. Um, so I, w- I would just say that there, there's always hope and that, um, you know, this is a mind problem like anything else. And you can, you can work with your mind. You just have to gain control over it because right now your mind has too much control over you. So I don't know if that, that's all helpful, but I, I, I feel like, it, you know, I, I feel like it should be. I feel like you should just always have hope. And um, you just never forget how to sleep. You just, you're just overthinking the issue, mm-hmm. you know, mm-hmm. and that you, it's not like you have a sleeping disease. Um, there's a famous uh, novel that I love, which is called 100 Years of Solitude by Gabriel Garcia Marquez. And he talks about this little made up village in Central America and they have a sleeping sickness and they all can't sleep at one point. It's a you know, surrealist novel. And it's really interesting. And they, as the days go by, nobody's sleeping and they start forgetting the names of things. So they have to like na- put, put signs on different objects so they remember what they're called. So he was very interesting, um, you know, uh, Marquez, with his imagination, that he could imagine that there's a sleeping sickness Hmm. and that people could get it. But there really is no such thing, you know? So you just convinced yourself you have a sleeping sickness, but it it really isn't so. Mm -hmm. I hope that's helpful. I I think it will be. Um, You know, it's one thing for um, me to just share, like, best tips and best practices, et cetera, et cetera. But I think it's just so powerful for people to hear from someone else that has gone through a similar struggle. Um, they can recognize, I'm sure many people are going to recognize parts of their own life um, in what, in what you've been talking about. Um, and it just, it, it just puts a different perspective on it. When you hear someone that struggled telling their story, I think it's just way more powerful than just listening to someone like me just drone on endlessly. <laughs> 
So I, I, I really appreciate I really And I also it. just want to, to, to close, I would say, you know, the more you educate yourself about sleep, um, the better off you are, because then you're not, it's not like this mysterious thing that you have no control over. And, and once again, you know, it's like this, this monster on your back. But once you, you, you learn about it, how much sleep you actually need, how the body functions, you know, education as an educator, that's what I should be preaching, right? We need to educate ourselves, learn about sleep and how it works. And then we can literally fix our sleep. You know, we can, we can put it, put ourselves on the path to getting a good night's sleep. Just if you don't know about sleep, I think, you know, you, you, you fantasize and you, you feel like, Oh, it's the end of the world. And I, I have some strange illness, but just get the facts on it. Like what's going on. You know, maybe you slept more than you think you probably did. And you're not going to die from this. Mm -hmm. You know, and just learning how the mind works because mind is very tricky when it comes to sleep. And I think if you're kind of a thinking, you know, overly cognitive person, you probably would have more trouble with sleep than someone who's a little bit more easygoing and not such a thinker. Right. Yeah. We kind of overthought ourselves into it. So we have to like use thinking to get ourselves out of it. Yeah, absolutely. I, I think that is really important. Um, the, the, one, the one problem there is, is just what do most of us do when we want to learn about something? We go to Google, right? And mm. there's just so much misinformation about sleep out there. You know, like the whole idea that we should be getting eight hours. Um, the, the idea that, I don't know, just smaller things like we can't drink coffee anymore if you want to sleep. Um, mm -hmm. if we don't sleep, we're going to get Alzheimer's, you know, right. there's, there's so much fear mongering and misinformation out there. So it, it is really important that sleep education is absolutely important. And that's why it's like a key component of CBTI is this sleep education. Um, but you just have to be really careful about the sources that you get this sleep information from, Definitely. you know, like really look and make sure that the source is legitimate. Um, and that if they're referencing studies, they're, they're, um, they're interpreting them in the right way. They're not just drawing anything that finds like an association. They're not taking it as a causation, for example. Um, so I tend, I think like with, with sleep, probably your best bet for research is in published material, you know, books. Um, there are some great books out there. Um, I'll probably put a link to a few in the show notes for the podcast. Um, that's probably the best, the best way to go for sleep education, um, rather than Google necessarily in this case, when mm. it comes to sleep. And people are always trying to sell you things, you know, mm -hmm. sell you a pillow, sell you a mattress. You could spend, everybody wants a good night's sleep. You could spend, you know, lots and lots of money at mm. this throwing, throwing money at this problem. Yeah. So there's a market, you know, they exploit it. Yeah, absolutely. Absolutely. Um, well, I should send everybody to you. Uh, <laughs> I think that's a great place to start. Mm -hmm. Well, I, I appreciate it. Reasonable and you, you're, you know, the fact that you go over, you make us do our, our sleep journal and you give us personalized, personalized feedback, tell us, you know, what we're doing wrong. I had no idea I was just spending too much time in the bed. You know, I was going to bed too early. No one else could have really told me that. You know, so I could have done all that research on my own, but I wouldn't have been able to put it all together and say, this is what I'm doing, you know, this is what I need to do, um, you know, go to bed a little later, stick with this schedule, um, you know, just all the feedback I got from you that was personal. I don't think I would have been able to figure it out for myself. I really appreciate that. Thank you. That's <laughs> yeah, true. All right. Well, I, I really appreciate you taking the time. Um, like I said, I think it's really powerful for people to hear um, about how someone else's journey. Um, and I'm sure they'll recognize a lot of similarities with what they're going through with what you what you described. So um, I really want the key takeaway from from these interviews, these discussions just to be like there is hope uh, you can sleep. Other people have gone through very similar situation to your own um, and got through it. So there's no reason why you can't do the same thing. Exactly. Yeah, there's always hope out there. We're all human. We're, we're all, you know, in this together. We're all suffering similar things. Yeah, exactly. No one's really unique in that way. Exactly. All right. So, so thank you so much, Anne. Same here. Pleasure to finally meet you, you know, somewhat over the internet. <laughs> <laughs> Thanks for listening to the Insomnia Coach podcast. If you're ready to implement cognitive behavioral therapy for insomnia CBTI techniques to improve your sleep, but think you might need some additional support and guidance, I would love to help. There are two ways we can work together. First, you can get my online coaching course. 
this is the most popular option. My course combines sleep education with unlimited support and guidance and is guaranteed to improve your sleep. I will teach you and help you implement new CBTI techniques over a period of eight weeks. This gives you time to build sleep confidence and notice results without feeling overwhelmed. You can get the course and start right now at insomniacoach.com forward slash online. I also offer a phone coaching package where we start with a one hour call. This can be voice only or video, your choice, and we come up with an initial two week plan that will have you implementing CBTI techniques that will lead to long term improvements in your sleep. You get unlimited email based support and guidance for two weeks after the call, along with a half hour follow up call at the end of the two weeks. You can book the phone coaching package at insomniacoach.com forward slash phone. I hope you enjoyed this episode of the Insomnia Coach podcast. I'm Martin Reed, and as always, I'd like to leave you with this important reminder. You can sleep.